As I was uh, driving over here this morning, um, struck sort of by, oh, I didn't say that. Oh, that's not in my notes. Oh, there's so much that could be said from this text. Um, And I can't say it all, unless you want to be here for a couple hours, and I know you don't want that, right? So um, if I don't bring up the thing that you were thinking about, may it be okay. (laughs) Um, Said, failings, got those. Let us uh, read from Genesis 27. This is a long portion. Um, Most commentaries made it even longer, so I didn't do that. I broke it up a little bit. Let's hear God's word this morning. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it, and bless you before the Lord, your, uh, the, the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two young goats, so that I may prepare for, uh, from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies." But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bear, bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go, bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goat she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near, that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. 
He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near him, and he, he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of, his, of Isaac his father, Esau his brother came in with, from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants. And with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you? My son. Esau said to his father, But you have, one, you have but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O oh my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father, as we work through this text, be gentle with us. Speak the truth to us in love. And while we see our sin, help us to see Jesus more clearly. And as we see the weakness of the flesh, help us to see the work of the Spirit more clearly. Instruct us, encourage us, equip us, and fulfill the purposes of your word in us. We ask this in the name of Jesus, who came to explain or exegete or reveal the Father, you, to us. Amen. Uh, don't know if you knew this. 
but a movie came out on Friday by the title of Machine Gun Preacher. Now, doesn't that sound exciting? (laughs) It's actually based on a true story. It's based on the story of a man named Sam Childers. And Sam was a drug addict and an ex-con, and Jesus found him. He was converted in Pennsylvania. Uh, He felt called to plant a church there in Pennsylvania and did that. And then he felt the call of God to leave Pennsylvania and to go to East Africa to work among orphans in East Africa. And it is there amongst the, the Sudan and other places that while he was working with the orphans, he came in contact with the LRA, the Lord's Resistance Army. And if you don't know about the LRA, what they did is quite evil. They would take children, little boys, train them to be soldiers, and send them out to kill other people. An army of soldiers. And one of his first experiences with them, uh, I haven't seen the movie, but you know, reading the summary anyway, is that they violently destroyed the orphanage so that they could take the orphans to make them... Soldiers. And so this man who has been converted from a very violent background is now faced in a, he's in a situation in which he is trying to follow God's will. He's up against people who are incredibly evil. There is no 911 to call and report them so the police can come and take care of this problem because they are the problem. And so he has to try and figure out what to do in response to evil to protect the people he's trying to protect. Glad it's not me. Glad I don't live in that situation. And yet it points to the reality that there are many voices that seek to instruct us on how to walk, to, to what to do in particular circumstances. Some of those voices will be good. Some of those voices will be bad. Now, those people weren't necessarily in the room with him. They may have been the voices of People from the past, psychologists, prison guards, who knows? We all have these voices that have taught us over the decades. I'm making it very confusing. That's what I think is going on in this text. There are voices, so to speak, speaking. But the big idea is that God's voice offers grace in the midst of sin and misery. This text teaches us the reality that God's voice is one of many that shape our choices. We see that God in Genesis 26, 5, in his vision to Isaac, recognized Abraham as one who obeyed his voice. That word voice is prominent, is one of the prominent themes that runs through this section of Scripture. And in this passage we're looking at this morning, voice. Not only voice, but blessing is one of the words that is repeated often in this text. And they are connected. Because when you listen to the wrong voice, you do not receive blessing. And what's going on here is that no one is listening to the voice of God. They're all listening to other voices. Favoritism. 
which was alluded to earlier on in, in uh, chapter 25, is, has already f- split this family into factions. You sort of have the Isaac faction and the Rebecca faction. What is interesting in this text is the two of them never speak in this instance. There's a lot of talking going on, but those two never talk. They are vying for control of this family. And it gets ugly. This situation that unfolds before us is what is the final straw that broke the camel's back. It's the final thing that's going to blow it all apart. And we see that the text starts off with the fact that Isaac is now aged. He is blind. But guess what? He's not the only one who's blind. They're all blind. Not physically, but there is some blindness in them. What are these voices? Jacob. Let's start with Jacob. He's the father. That's a good place to start. He's the one who initiates this whole thing, which is another reason why it's a good place to start. But Jacob ignores the prophecies from God that we we talked about in Genesis 25. Okay? He ignores that prophecy from God. He tunes out God's voice, in other words, because he's listening to his belly. The words tasty food and game are repeated 13 times in this passage. Okay? That's one of the other key words that runs through all of this. And two, at least two times it is said, that which he loves, the food that he loves. Okay? He is listening to his tummy, not to God. He plans, on the basis of this, to bless his favorite son in private, not in public, which was the custom. It was meant to be a public thing, so others would recognize the blessing that is placed upon the child. But he instead, knowing that he is ignoring the voice of God, invites his son Esau to come in private to bring him a meal to satisfy his stomach that he might privately bless him against the expressed word of God. But even in this, we recognize, because Hebrews 11 says this, by faith Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Okay? As I mentioned to the Sunday school class this morning, there's something that's very interesting that happens here. It's, it's almost, in Hebrews 11, it's almost like all the bad stuff in this passage didn't exist. All that exists was the good stuff, the faith, the reality that Isaac knew that his blessing had power from God, that he was not just giving his own word, speaking his own word upon his sons, but he was speaking God's word upon his sons. And by faith he did this. He knew there was power in what he did. And the writer of Hebrews overlooks all of the sin that takes place by Jacob, and, uh, sorry, Isaac, in the midst of this. And, all, and as I said to the Sunday school class this morning, and may this be a plug for Sunday school, as I said, I, I, finally the light bulb came on. He, he, the, the writer of Hebrews is speaking of, of, Je, of Isaac as a justified man. 
He is now in Christ. He is now holy and blameless. It's as if from God's perspective that the sin that he committed is not there. Though we still read about it in Genesis. So we're not going to look at this from the perspective of Hebrews as him as a justified man, but him as a father who failed in Genesis 27. Okay, But he, he trusted God enough to know that his blessing had power, but he did not submit to God in the use of that power. Understand that distinction. So, that's Jacob. Now Esau. Esau ignores his oath, his word, his promise to his brother. Okay? Remember, uh, earlier he... Uh, he had come back from the fields. He was famished. He thought he was going to die, and he wanted some stew. And so Jacob says, I'll sell it to you for your birthright. And he sells it to him. Now, Esau forgets what really happened because he's, Jacob stole it from me. <laughs> no, you sold it to him. Okay. So Esau here, here's this. He ignores his oath to Jacob. And he listens to his father, and he listens to his own greed. He sees money coming to him. And he doesn't care what he promised his brother, and he doesn't care what God had said. He listens to that. Now, it's interesting here that Esau is separating the birthright from the blessing. God doesn't see it that way. (laughs) They're joined together. That was part of the point. He sold it all to his brother. But Esau wants prosperity. And so it's interesting here that he does not confront his father. He does not say, Dad, you know the promise that God gave Mom. You know how this is supposed to go. He does not say, Dad, we can't do this in private. He doesn't say any of these things. He does not respectfully confront his father with his father's sin. He he joins his dad in his sin. That's the two of them. Rebecca. Rebecca remembers the promise. But she's not trusting the God of the promise to bring that promise to fulfillment. She's trusting her own plan. Her own way. She is, in some ways, just like Sarah earlier on, who had the promise of a child, but decided that since God wasn't, hasn't come through on my timetable, that I'm going to come up with my own plan. So here's Hagar, have her, and I'll take her child. She's thinking that she has to work to accomplish God's promise. And so she comes up with a plan. A plan to d- take advantage of her now blind husband. Can you imagine that? See how horrible things have gotten in that family? That she's willing to take advantage of the blindness of her husband? Yet she does, because she refuses to trust God to keep his promise. And we get to Jacob. Jacob obeys his mother's voice which is what she tells him to do twice. Obey my voice. Obey my voice. And in so doing, he dishonors his father through deception. 
Do you note some of the irony that's there? He's obeying his mother's voice, not God's voice. He's deceiving his blind father. He's dressed sort of like his brother and in his brother's clothes and he's got everything. Isaac knows something's not right. What does he say? It is the voice of Jacob. There's one sense that tells him all is not right here. He can smell the fields upon the clothing because he has his brother's clothing on. He can feel the fur from the skins upon his hands. But his hearing says this is not the right voice. But he ignores it. Note again the power of the, 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 the sinful speech that takes place. In dishonoring his father, what does he do? He, he lies to his father. But not only that, he ups the ante. The second lie is actually blasphemy. Because Isaac asks, how did you get back so quickly? The Lord your God appointed or you know, ordained that I would find it quickly. He brings the speediness of his arrival. He blames or puts the responsibility of the speediness of his arrival on God. He invokes the name of God to cover his deception. Blasphemy. Note as well as, as this takes place that Jacob is not afraid to deceive his father. He's only afraid of getting caught. He's just like any other two-bit criminal in the world. They're not afraid to steal. They're not afraid to rob. They're not afraid to commit crimes. They're only afraid of getting caught and going to jail. He's afraid of getting cursed. That's it. He's not afraid of dishonoring God. He's not afraid of deceiving his father. He's not afraid of blowing this family into a billion pieces. He just doesn't want to get cursed. He's very short-sighted. And so as we look at what's going, what goes on within this family, we can say that everyone here could point a finger precisely because everyone here has done wrong. There's no innocent party in this family. No one. We also find that two sins don't make an obedience. Okay? You know, you can't justify your sinful response to someone else's sinful action. They're both sin. They're both wrong. God's not going to go, oh, you get a pass because they sinned first. Don't worry about it. Everyone's guilty of their actions in this passage in this event. This reminds me so much of, of counseling. and It's fun counseling families sometimes. <laughs> um, I haven't done too much of families, but it's, it's the same thing with couples usually, that it's always the other person. We're so good at seeing everyone else's sin and so bad at seeing our own sin. 
And so what usually happens, and a counselor has to sort out through the myriad of voices that take place in the counseling session, who actually sinned? Which usually the answer is, everybody. Okay? Every family, because of Adam's original disobedience, is dysfunctional. It's just a question of how dysfunctional they are. Are they Genesis 27 dysfunctional? Are they worse? Or are they less? It's there. Because sin is there. And the relationships don't, don't work right. Okay? So every family needs grace. Every family. There needs to be patience, as the, as the catechism talked about. There needs to be patience and forbearance. But what happens, or what should happen, is that faithful families seek reconciliation. The reason they're in this mess is that they never sought reconciliation. They never brought the Word of God that He had spoken in the visions to bear on their circumstances. And so, it has gone so far beyond where it should have gone that it's almost like there's no turning back. And the first fault lies with Isaac as the father, as the head, as the the responsible covenant head of this family. He's the one who should have been working to resolve the issues in this family, but he is the one who actually triggered most of them through his appetites. This reminds us that we have to own our own sin first. Matthew 7, 1 through 5. That infamous passage, or that famous passage, not infamous, it's famous. Uh, infamous does not mean more than famous, okay? contrary to the three amigos. Okay. How can you see the speck in your own eye because of the log in your own? First remove the log in your eye, then help your brother remove the speck. And so the first step ought to have been to remove that log from his own eye so that he could clearly see what was going on in the lives of his family. So that he could begin to move toward them and instruct them about what needed to change. But he never removed that log, and so all he sees is their specs. Who does he blame later on? It's all Jacob's fault. He never recognizes his own. He never removes the log. He cannot see clearly. He is not just physically blind, but there is a degree of spiritual blindness. He's still justified, but he can't see things for what they really are. Blindness. And so we all hear many voices besides God's. And when we obey them, sin fractures families, communities, churches. All right, second part of this is that obeying the wrong voice brings great misery. And so we see here that Isaac discovers that he has been deceived. And Moses says that he trembled. Violently. He is shaken to the core 
of his being, and it manifests itself physically. He knows that his plan has failed. He knows that his plans have been undone. He is now experiencing extreme guilt, though he's not going to admit that. Think about one time when you did something really bad. And you got caught. Did you have a physical reaction like that? Or you're just, you're, you know something bad's going to happen? You're, you're physically, you're, you're shaking. Children experience this quite a bit, I think. Um, <laughs> they, they, they've done something they know is wrong, and they know that they're in trouble now, and they start the, the, the shaking and the crying and then the whole nine yards. And we as adults can do that without so much of the crying. But inside we feel sick. We tremble. We know we have done wrong, but we're not often willing to admit that we have. He realizes that his own secrecy worked against him. There was no fact checker. There was no one else in the room to make sure, yeah, that's Esau. There was no fact checker. There's no witness to Jacob's deceit. He can't bring anyone to, to testify at the city gate if there was one. And Beersheba to say, my son deceived me. There's no one there. Not enough witnesses. And he's the one who set it up that way. Esau raises his voice. Not in praise, but to lament and to cry. He too is undone by the reality that there's no more blessing for him. I let out one of those cries yesterday, second inning of the game, when there was a home run that made it six nothing Yankees, and I was I turned off that TV. I didn't want to watch anymore. It was horrible. I let out one of those cries this morning as I was at home, you know, because we were having some internet problems here and I couldn't, I didn't want to come here and not be able to print my sermon notes, you know, and I put the paper in the wrong way for the second side and I knew it was going to print on the same side as the first one did and it moved so slowly. Ah! I raised my voice and lament. We all do this. We know what it's like. We know what it's like. That there's something that can't be undone, and we're powerless to change it. What's interesting is that both in my family and in Amy's family, we have an uncle who stole it all, who took advantage of grandparents to steal the inheritance. In the case of Amy's family, her parents trusted in God and didn't go to the courts. And her uncle Will was consumed with guilt. In the case of my family, Uncle Ronnie, I don't even know what happened to Uncle Ronnie. I haven't heard. Because he he was basically banished. There was a lawsuit, and not much happened from that. Just a lot of wasted... The only one who got aid money on that was the lawyers, as it often is. It still happens. It still rips families to pieces. 
there is something for Esau. He gets a small blessing. There was a scrap for him, but it didn't sound very good, did it? Away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be. Away from the dew of heaven on high. No prosperity for him. Hardship for Esau. Not only that, but again, there's this idea of the conflict that will plague him and his people who come after him all of their days because by the sword you shall live. He's going to have a violent existence. He will not know shalom. He will serve his brother. How would you like to hear that coming from your dad's mouth? Speaking for God. You're serving. But there was a bit of a promise there because one day the yoke would be removed. And true enough, that's what happened. The Edomites for a long time were vassals to Israel. And one day it ended. One day they were able to break free of the yoke. But then during the exile, during the destructions, they mocked Israel and brought condemnation upon themselves. So that old Conflict, even though they were free from being vassals, did not die, and it led to their eventual destruction. Both of them, Esau and Isaac, had been deceived and supplanted by the aptly named Jacob, and yet he is the scapegoat because he did not put this whole thing in motion. He didn't commit all the sin, he just committed some of the sin. Esau wept, as we said, but his desire was for the material prosperity, not because he was not God's appointed heir of the promise, of the blessing. All of the indications seem to be that he's weeping because he lost Riches, not because he lost God. And that's why the author of Hebrews says that there was no repentance. He could not get back because it was, it was really not about God's blessing for him. It was about the material stuff. He didn't want God. There was no repentance. He had a worldly form of sorrow, not a godly sorrow. There's no repentance here. Just disappointment at the circumstances that his sin produced. That's worldly sorrow. That's feeling bad because you got caught. Not because that what you did is wrong. This points, I think, in part to the Exodus generation. Remember, the, the, the first generation that had come out of Egypt, and God says, go into the land. And they send the 12 spies. And the spies come back, and they bring honking huge grapes and clusters of honey and everything else, all the signs that this is a prosperous land that God is going to bring us into. And there's two of them, Joshua and Caleb, who say, let's go. God is with us. God has promised. Let's do what He says and go. And there's ten that say, oh no, there's giants in the land. 
They're going to eat us up. We'll be goners. And God says, okay. That whole generation, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, would die in the wilderness. Well, they didn't like that. <laughs> okay, you know. And so the, 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 the rest of the Israel says, well, let's go in. Okay. It wasn't about God. It was about, I don't want to die in the wilderness. And God said, no. You're not going to enter the promised land. I think he saw in some ways points to them. The war, a warning to Israel. You know, embrace the promise. Walk into the blessing. Or you'll be left out. But it reminds us that faithful families are marked by sin. And so, you know, Esau heard about all of this, but he did not own the blessing. He did not own his faith. We have to own our faith, the faith of our fathers. We can't ride in on the coattails of somebody else. We have to believe it too. We have to seek grace for our sin. And so the voices promised pleasure and prosperity, but they produced only misery. Is there any hope? Is there any gospel in here? Ah, Yes, I think there is. God points to the person to whom we should listen. This blessing, uh, which we haven't looked at a whole lot yet, but we'll get to it in a moment, reflects the promise of Genesis 25 as well as the promise of Genesis 12. Why don't we look at it briefly? Verse 28, May God give you the dew of heaven and the of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. And so this promise includes material prosperity for Isaac. Uh, Jacob. Too many Old Testament names messing with my head. Okay, Jacob is going to receive material prosperity from God. Okay, There'll be lots of dew from heaven. There'll be lots of crops. You know, uh, There's going to be fatness of the earth. Lots of grain. Lots of wine. He's going to have the good stuff. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. Okay. Political power and advantage, which Israel would enjoy until their sin got too great. Okay. But he ruled over his brother Edom. Then from Genesis 12, he kind of flips this a little bit, but still. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. That's exactly what God said to Abraham. And so we see that all who bless Jacob will be blessed, but all who curse Jacob will be, tran- will be cursed. The promise has been transferred. The baton has been passed. Jacob has passed the baton, whether he wanted to or not, to his son Jacob. And now it is Jacob who has that power, that that power rests on him, so to speak, that God is going to bless the people who bless him, and God will curse those who curse Jacob. Jacob's not a nice guy yet. In fact, he may never be a nice guy, but nonetheless, we see that, that it's been transferred 
Esau is a fool for going to his father because his father now lacks the power to bless him. He should have gone to Jacob. If he had restored their relationship through repentance with Jacob instead of despising his brother, he might have found blessing in keeping with the promise. But he didn't. And yet we see here Jacob, though he's not yet seeking God, is now the channel for God's blessing at that point in time in the history of redemption. And so we see that God accomplishes his sovereign will against the purposes of Esau and Isaac and against the purposes of Jacob or despite the purposes of Jacob and Rebekah. God fulfills his purpose. Jacob didn't win a blessing. This was not a contest that he came out ahead on, that he was able to trick his brother and get ahead. But rather, he was graciously given it despite how absolutely undeserving he was. But more than that, Jacob serves as an antitype, so to speak, pointing us to Jesus, who is the ultimate fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise. The one in whom the nation shall be blessed. But those who bless him will be blessed. Those who curse Christ will be cursed. It all goes to Jesus. But he deserved it. Isaac, uh, Jacob doesn't deserve it. Okay. God's saving blessing is found only through union in Jesus Christ by faith. Ephesians chapter 1. We have all these spiritual blessings in Christ, in union with Him. If we don't have Him by faith, we do not have those blessings. must have Him. As God's unique Son, it is Jesus' voice that we listen to. Faith obeys Jesus, not self. Matthew 17. The transfiguration. The, the three disciples, the big three, you know, have seen God's big three. Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. While he was still speaking, when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, only about Jesus. This voice separates Jesus from the other two. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. That's the voice to listen to. Christ. So when you read places like Hebrews 3, and as it is said, today if you hear His voice, remember it is the voice of Jesus through the Word of God. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Respond with faith to the voice. Receive the blessing of God. Salvation only comes through Him. It does not come through deception. You can't put on someone else's clothes and sneak into heaven. 
You, you cannot deceive and your way into heaven. You can't look to, uh, you know, I went to church. I look like a Christian and get into heaven. You have to be connected to Jesus. You can't, salvation does not come through manipulation or through the efforts of the flesh. Only through Christ. Jesus. Two quick things before we close this up. Notice what Jesus did. He did not cling to his birthright. He made us co-heirs. Romans 8. He shared it. See, the, the gospel, what we receive is a sharing of the birthright. We're brought in as sons. We're made co-heirs with Christ. What a beautiful thing. What an amazing thing. Not only that, but Jesus did not deceive His Father. But you know what He did do? He wore our clothes. 2 Corinthians 5. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. He took our clothes, so to speak. He took all our sin upon himself like a garment to the cross so that we don't have to wear it anymore. And the beauty of it is, is he took Isaac's sin too. Which is why the writer of Hebrews can say what he says about Isaac. And he took Jacob's sin too. Which is why Jacob would eventually become a godly man. Still with failings. So we live in a world that is filled with voices, educators, politicians, psychologists, talk show hosts, family and friends, and everyone, it seems, wants us to obey them. If they aren't speaking in step with God, then they're an echo of the serpent's voice. They can drown out God's voice in the Scriptures and lead us into sin and misery. But God speaks most clearly, as it says in Hebrews 1, through His Son, Jesus, the Messiah, and He speaks of grace. Jesus is the one, the only one, through whom our personal family and community dysfunction and sin can find forgiveness and transformation. So are you looking to Him for that? Or are you looking somewhere else? To someone else? To something else? There's only one voice you need to listen to. One. I'll save my football analogy for another time. Let's pray. Father, this, po- this text points out some painful realities. It is like a doctor who is exploring a wound. It's, we're not the observer, we are the patient, and it's painful. So I ask that you would bind up these wounds through the gospel, 
that you would apply the balm of the gospel to restore broken relationships, to restore shalom. It is not merely following principles, but a person being connected to Jesus through faith that brings this. And so may the Spirit bring us into a greater experience of the grace that was won by Jesus the Son. And we ask this to the praise of your glorious grace. Amen.